source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson, James Boyman, and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, joined by Alex and Ryan following Everton's 1-0 loss to Wolves at Goodison Park. It is their 16th loss of the Premier League season. And since Frank Lampard's first Premier League game in charge of Everton in February, only Norwich City, who are dead bottom of the table, have picked up fewer points than the Toffees. Leaving a lot questioning, uh, A, where was this new manager bounce? B, are we getting relegated? We ask this question seemingly every episode over the last few months. I think today was perhaps a day where that reality started to truly hit home for many blues out there before we get into our match reaction. It's just a reminder to please subscribe to the show if you enjoy it. Leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. If you want to find all of our links, you can look in the description or go to linktr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. And a reminder to join our Discord, invite.gg slash ATP. With that, let's go into instant match reactions. Let's do, let's go to Alex first. Frank needs to figure it out and fast. Wolves are a good team, but Everton have to show more than that. And I think relegation fears are certainly looming after this one. What about you, Ryan? It was horrible on so many levels. It was just a bad, bad game. And, I mean, dear Lord, the Premier League, the fastest, most exciting league in the world. And I did not see that today. Um, Yeah, it's just a shame. You know, it could have been mutually ugly with a point, but it was not to be. I mean, fine margins, of course. The one nils will kill you, or they'll lift you up. In this case, it's the former for Everton. We had Tim at Yo, This Is Whack, summing up, I think, all Evertonians' feelings. Said, instant reaction is visceral pain and suffering, primarily, and hard to disagree with that. In terms of score predictions from the Discord, we did not have any. We had a lot of optimistic one nils, but, of course, The reverse happened, and it was not Everton on the scoreboard. Now four consecutive Premier League matches without a goal. Certainly cause for concern, but let's go into the lineups. We'll start with Ryan. Talk us through Wolves' setup. I know they made a slight switch today, and of course we're forced to pivot early on with an injury. Yeah, I don't think it was that big of a deal, to be perfectly honest. I mean, they still play the same back three all the time. They added an extra player in midfield. It did matter on set pieces, and unfortunately, we conceded a few of those, um, only two corners, but that's what ultimately killed us. Um, yeah, Huang and, and Jimenez are up top, um, and you know, they know they've been playing a lot of 3-4-3, so it was more like kind of a, a 3-5-2, I suppose. They sometimes play 3-4-1-2, which is kind of the same way, but it looked like Den Donker was kind of sitting behind players with Matinho Neves in front of them. Um Potence goes to the bench. Neto is out, which is helpful. Uh, could have been at least. Crazy stat about Wolves. This is actually an insane stat. They're, they have a negative 19.1 differential between their non-penalty goals against versus their expected non-penalty goals against. I mean, no one else is over 8.2. And I think the highest I've seen since they've been tracking that on FB Ref was 12 last year for Leeds. And no one else is in double figures before that. I mean, it's first in the league by... A mile. Now, part of that is Saw. I mean, he's literally playing as as the best keeper in the league right now. He's really tough to beat. But there's a lot of luck involved there. And it's not like it's all just long shots. And they make it tough for you. But 
the point is that they're tough to beat if, if you let them score first, and that's a real problematic thing. So, uh, But they will typically concede possession if you show some composure on the ball. I don't know if this lineup was really designed to do that, though. What do you think about that, Alex? Because there were some changes, and certainly a formation change. Yeah, I mean, there were some surprising changes. Um, the good news coming into the match day was that Gray and Godfrey, Godfrey were back. And they obviously came straight into the uh, starting lineup. Uh, Michael Keane drops to the bench, maybe not surprising to most. Although I think, in my opinion, the big surprise was Alon going to the bench. Um, so we ended up having a three-man back line. But the interesting thing about that was the right center back ended up being John Joe Kenny instead of Coleman. And obviously soon we'll end up talking about the fact that uh, maybe that was the better decision or not. Um, and also, of course... I think a, another big surprise was Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who missed out, um, come to find out he was uh, sick. And and obviously, you know, one last thing to note was Patterson didn't even make the bench this time around either, but he was not featuring in the U23s match uh, yesterday or day before. Different type of sick. Um, I'm sick. I'm sick and tired of this BS watching this week in, week out. <laughs> wow. Um, that's not in the script, folks. I just want you to know that. I just said uh, it. I had to. Thank you. That's pure spirit. Oh, gosh. Back to pain. back. It's you pure pain. It's just so pain. much today. I'm already in pain. I had to get up at like 6 in the morning for uh, my son's hockey game today, so I'm already exhausted. Um, you know, the first things first, that makes no sense to have John Joe Kenny be the right center half and Coleman pushed up wide. How does that make any sense? I mean, Coleman, if anything, is a half space player. He doesn't like to even go wide at all. And you could see in the shape that was problematic. Um, but let's first just ask a couple questions. Everton kind of need to decide what they want to be. I mean, are we going to keep the ball or are we going to hoof the ball up? I, in all seriousness, I, I don't I don't get it. You know, and we'll get into the numbers a little bit later. They have to decide. Either you're comfortable keeping the ball or you feel compelled to, to push it up the field. And we saw that today and we were just giving them the ball. I think it's also worth noting that in their back-to-back-to-back losses, Wolves were playing against a 4-2-3-1 from Palace, West Ham, and Arsenal. But I, Frank had mentioned that some of his system choices were due to injury in the past. I, I don't think any of that was, I don't think this was precipitated by, by injury. But yeah, I, I think John Joe Kenny's actually a pretty okay wingback. He could serve a ball. Uh, he's a lot more straight ahead. He's a lot more of a kind of vertical player. And I, I don't understand that, but but I think, look, I mean, looking at the spacing, um, you could switch wings with Gray and Gordon all, all you want, but ultimately there was a massive gap between DeCore, uh, Donnie Van Beek, and, and Richarlison. Richarlison was playing on the back shoulder, and it sounded like, sound like that's how Frank wanted him to play. But ultimately, if you can't hold the ball a little bit and push your wing backs up, they're never going to have anyone in front of them. And you saw that a lot. There was a lot of turning back and then... I have no actually problem with the defense, the pass backs. What I have a problem is you pass it back to someone who is facing the whole field, has the whole field of vision in front of them, and they either hoof it and just give it away, or they can't find someone. But that's my point. I mean, you have to decide what you want to do. And God, it was very mixed today, was it not? Yeah. And you talk about decisions on what we want to be. I mean, Alex said it, another change of system. Um, seems like Frank maybe doesn't really have a good understanding of what this team is good at and not because there's been so many shifts. It feels like every time we lose, it's back to the drawing board and changing things every single game. And to be fair, obviously we're on a 
terrible run of form. So you can question if it makes sense to stick with stuff that's not working. But you also, you know, there's there's no way to build anything cohesive over time when you're shifting things constantly. And we just look like a team that doesn't understand what they're expected to do, doesn't understand how to break teams down, and we resort to hoofball without any sort of structure or like purpose around it. It's like just hoof it, but there's none of the other elements of hoofball that would make it, it make, that can make it effective in some circumstances. Well, there's no second ball. I mean, because right. DeCorey and Vandebeek are too far, far behind. And yeah, I just, I, I just think you look at it and wolves are defensive. Um, they apply pressure in the midfield, but they just kind of concede usually. And we were kind of doing some of that too. I mean, really, it was pretty defensive at times where we were letting their center halves play around with the ball a bit. And that's okay. Because we, we actually did pretty well intercepting the ball when they tried to play it through us several times. We just did nothing on the counter because I don't think we were necessarily set up to counter. But then when it came to holding the ball and possessing it, we just couldn't handle it and just felt compelled. I mean, there are a couple guilty parties. But yeah, the problem is ultimately, you know, we, we let them score first. They'll kill the game. And that's a little bit what happened. But you just look at their average position and we're kind of all over the place. Um, but look, the attacks were pushed for the most part to the wings, right? I mean, look at the numbers. They're pretty obvious uh, in terms of how how little we attack down the middle. Right. I mean, and that's pretty clear, right? And and where it goes wrong is the fact that we talked about it when we bought Mikalinko. He's maybe not the best in attack at present time. We also know Seamus Coleman, as we just mentioned, is a lot less pacey and is not that great an attack either. Maybe John Joe Kenny with the verticality, hashtag verticality up the right side helps a lot more too. So it's confusing when you know from the beginning that your attacks are going to be forced wide and yet your wingbacks are some not really privy to, you know, fantastic attacking ability. Especially when you're outnumbered in midfield, right? You have to have numbers up in attack in some way. So let's say you pick one of the sides to attack and Mikalinko can't go forward, but you're right, Alex, he's not a bombing wingback and he's probably never going to be. So say you attack down his side, you move Richie over there, you've got Gray, does Gray tuck inside to free up for Mikalinko? If that's the case, you got to keep the ball a little bit. So does Donnie go out there to support him? And then wh what does DeCorey do? And then still, who fills in the middle? It's got to be Gordon cutting in the inside, right? And it's got to be coordinated there, but that takes time to get put in place. And we didn't see that. There was no patience whatsoever with that. And look, worst case scenario is you're patient, you don't hoof it up. And it's a draw. You don't create yeah. a lot and they don't create a lot. And that stinks. But I mean, look, 21% of the time we attack down the middle. That's a low number. Now they had 23, 47% of the time wolves attack down the right side. Now that made sense, right? They had and threw numbers over there. When Podence came in, he sat over on that side and they attacked Mikalinko a lot. Uh, he hung in there a bit. They didn't create a ton from open play, but just look at the shot distribution. I mean, no one really created a whole lot. No, I mean, again, this was fine margins we'll talk about the xg in a little bit but it wasn't wasn't dramatically different you know everton ended up taking 63 percent of their shots outside the box to wolves 64 percent we actually had 13 percent inside the six and wolves didn't have any and then 25 inside the 18 to wolves 36 so the shots coming from similar areas and again it's a one nil so and of course the the goal from connor cody coming off the fallout from a set piece um and, and i think you know, we were talking beforehand, Ryan, you said the first 20 minutes weren't all that great, but we did have, Richarlison almost had the most unbelievable goal of the season in like the first 30 seconds of the match, which would have really put us off on the, the right foot. But he had a couple early chances uh, in like the first five minutes and then right into it, 
Mikalenko plays an unbelievable through ball, and you saw kind of the the game plan there. Wolves playing an incredibly high line. Look for Richarlison to get in behind. And it was, again, Mikalenko, I think, had a, had a pretty solid first half, and this was a good example of playing the ball through, executing the game plan, um, and Richarlison just not his day, unable to finish there. They were fine margins. I don't think the first half was that bad, uh, other than us handing them the ball too often. Because there were a couple chances, a couple soft sides, a couple fine margins and close plays if that's how you're going to play. I just think if we were a little more patient, hung on to the ball a little bit more, that's always going to be there. That line is not moving. Like, you're not hitting them on a counter, so what the heck are we in a hurry for? Or they disorganize at that point, you're going to hoof it over their heads? I mean, who do we have that's capable of doing that? Certainly not Mason Holgate, this just in. Um, it was good to see that the uh, the... Uh, the Huang Hee-chan uh, saga finally ended in the 16th minute. Good that was God. a really fascinating, like, 10 minutes of play. Have you guys ever seen anything quite like that? I just thought the most bizarre moment was when he kind of got up after the second time, I think, and he so- kind of, like, apologized to the Gladys Street, which did not obviously meet him with the same kind of energy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's going to go well. I'm sorry, my bad. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm sure they were all like, it's okay. Everything's fine. I mean, that's I'm sure what they were saying, right? We forgive you. It was yeah. It was so he obviously goes down once. He gets up, goes down again, gets up again, and then like 30 seconds after, he he goes into like a full lunging challenge. Um, when we're on offense, and then he's like, okay, I I finally give up. Yeah, you never usually it's like the the second time after they pull up, it's like okay, I'm done. So I mean, maybe if you're a Wolves fan, you give him credit for trying to persevere but it just it dragged on for so long and then to only have three minutes added on at the end of the first half was what was that and look we're not here to see you lay on the turf man make a call and get off i I don't get that at all but they did a good job it looked like sucking the life out of the crowd a little bit early i I think well Um, what was interesting was like at that exact moment when he like every time he went down and got up and then came back on it like riled up the crowd more and more and you think that's true by the end of it and that's the type of thing that you usually need. Like Goodison reacts to that sort of stuff from the opposition, just the kind of like annoyingness, like a dirty foul or a missed call by the referee. It's like that stuff that for some reason tends to galvanize the crowd more than anything else. So I felt, okay, Goodison's rocking and roaring. Maybe we can take advantage of this. Unfortunately, we could not. But the first half then continued, and, and there were some other interesting incidents. I mean, we had a couple flops on our side, but then – uh, potence on Jordan Pickford, this bat towards the end of the first half was one of the more comical uh, displays you'll see in football. And one of the things that if you're like not a fan of the sport and you see this, you're like, what the heck are these guys doing? Yeah, I mean, I think Potence was just posted up next to him for a free kick or a corner. And, you know, they're just kind of side side handing each other to figure out where each other are, you know, like they always do on a set piece. And unfortunately, Potence is about five foot tall. So Pickford bringing his arm up, not even a shoulder height, kind of whacked him in the throat. And you would have thought that he might have gotten like a slice on the neck or something by how he was acting. It was absolutely ridiculous. And people were furious. He was alive. He made it, though. I mean, kudos to him. I mean, he risked his life to get touched by Pickford with the finger thing. Um, He he went down like two. It was like two. It was like a brother and sister, like slap fighting, kind of. I mean, it yeah, was just embarrassing. Right. I, I just, how can you? First of all, how can you not yellow him for that? Like, I'm tired of that. Someone in the Premier League literally decides that's great. We want that. No yeah. one wants that. Like, literally, 
How is it that you let everyone now go and kick each other all up and down the field? You made that change this year. That's real productive. Yet that's the stuff that you think we should continue to let go. I don't get that at all. I just don't. I swear to God, this may be, I don't know if it's the best league in the world, but it's certainly not the best officiated and managed league on the field in the world. Uh, it's an absolute, that stuff's an absolute joke, but my God, the height of, I mean, Pickford, I know he's a short keeper, but I mean, wow. But and that's he not looked how, like Yao Ming next to Podence. Yeah. I mean, I would put Podence in there too, to be that kind of little pest to kind of get in front of him because it's not like he's going to rise over anyone and hit head ball. That's for freaking sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, just an absolute joke. Uh, at least we limited their corners though, because that size differential was a big deal. I mean, I think they only had one corner in the first half and the halftime numbers were not that bad i would argue i thought we probably had the better of the chances um we had five corners and granted we didn't look fabulous on the corners the delivery i thought was a little bit better maybe with gray um but i mean we dispossessed them a lot uh i think it was eight to two they gave us the ball quite a few times um passing wasn't the greatest for us and look they had more possession but i just the one thing i cannot handle is the booing when we pass backwards i mean it's I just don't get it. Like, that's not necessarily a terrible thing. Like, I don't know why. Maybe it's just we've had that style of play for so long. We really haven't had someone besides maybe Roberto Martinez that is willing to keep the ball a little bit. But, I I mean, you keep the ball, they don't score. It's not the worst result. And I almost feel like at times Holgate and Pickford feel like that eggs them on to fire it forward. So, anyway, the point is at halftime, it's kind of a stalemate. Um other than us giving them the ball, I, I think we probably would have generated more chances. Um, and I don't know how you guys felt at halftime. I was kind of like, that was a terrible half. But in many ways, I'm like, that's kind of sometimes how you need to play. And and you know, I didn't want us to play into and try and play direct into Wolves. I think that's the type of thing that they eat up. And sometimes you just got to be patient, orchestrated. Yeah, you talk about a side still trying to find their identity in Everton versus a side who I think are pretty assured in what they are and what they want to be in Wolves. And you saw the byproduct of that. I thought, look, I think the first maybe 20 minutes, they didn't have a single shot. I thought we looked pretty much on the on the front foot, having the better chances. But then you just let your foot off the gas slightly, and Wolves start to kind of just – and Log said this after the game. He said, we weathered the storm for the first 20 minutes, and then we kind of just took the air out of the ball and were able to, to control the match. And I think it felt exactly like that at halftime where, like, we really probably needed to get a goal early on and force Wolves to come out of their shell a little bit. If you let them dictate possession, dictate the game, it feels like they're they're very confident and comfortable when doing that, even when they're not on the ball. And we let them have 60% of the possession in the first half. And so, um, it, and it didn't feel like going forward we had a whole lot of ideas. It felt like, again, kind of desperate, both from Anthony Gordon, who has been trying to make things come off by himself for weeks now, and then Damari Gray returning to the side also felt... Like, he was desperate to make something happen individually. And there was very little link-up play between the front three. Yeah, and and we were disjointed from an attack standpoint. But then if you look at it, I mean, the fouls were 9-3. to three. We only committed three fouls in the first half. Um, we were off sides three times. Okay, but we still, even though we only committed three fouls, we out-tackled them 10-3. to three. You know, it wasn't like the fouls are sometimes a byproduct of being aggressive. But that was okay. We let them play into us. You know what I mean? The, the eight to two in dispossessions. I just, I felt like some things were working, even if we didn't really capitalize on their mistakes. And sure enough, in the second half, I mean, the first couple minutes, we gave away two bad fouls, the second of which was 
really a killer. But if you look at the second half, the second half's were 10 fouls on us, two to them. I mean, that is completely reversal. And I don't know. I mean, do you guys feel like we just came out after half a little more fired up, wanting to try and get on the front foot? Because I think that's playing right into them. I don't know. I, I mean, I kind of sensed it more as like, a, I mean, fired up, yes, but in a nervy way, right? Because, I mean, it was, that, like you said, that first foul was about a minute in where they dribbled straight at Mikalinko, and it was just, it was poor. And, you know, in the first half, for example, I thought his 1v1 defending was okay to good as a general statement, right? And you just knew as an Everton fan, you knew if you start off the second half and you can see the set piece literally right outside the box in a minute and you can't get rid of the ball. And then you, as you said, you have a second foul immediately after it. We have no height in the team, right? We were missing Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Michael Keane, Yeri Mina. Rondon. And so you expect to happen what happens when you... <laughs> Rondon, really? Yeah, Rondon too. El Ghazi. <laughs> hey, fair enough. El Ghazi's like 6'2". No, that's a good point. I take it. Rondon is, is sizable in, in that. No, and they got Dendonker in there, too, as a virtual center half playing at the six, you know, and Jimenez. I mean, that that's that's a lot of dangerous guys, big physical guys in the air. They're a very strong team. And that second one, I mean, this was it was kind of the extended uh, element of, of the set piece. But all the big guys were in the box. And, you know, it just took a little time and space from Neves, who's very good on the ball and great on set pieces to make us pay, unfortunately. Yeah, you go down 1-0. It's a <laughs> tough one. Uh, do you guys know what where uh, Connor Cody's from and what team he supports? Because I, I didn't really hear that mentioned much, and I was kind of wondering uh, if you guys had picked up on that at all. It was – it's just – I, I wish hate I didn't it so much. It so much. Do you think like those announcers – No, no. Do not, they have, like, a predetermined thing that they have to hit every time? It's like watching Fox News or CNN. It's, like, the same, like, five or six points every day. Yeah. Um, you know, sadly. Ram it down your throat, whether oh, you like it or not enough enough well if you say the same point five times you don't need five different points to say one time right that's so true that's a that's a pro pro presenter tip right there <laughs> but yeah i mean look we we remember it write that down there's no everton fan that feels confident when we give away a foul in those dangerous sorts of positions because we've just shown to be so so poor at defending them and like you said it's never re- even really the first ball in it's the fallout where there doesn't seem to be any kind of organization and Connor Cody makes us pay down one nil. And at this point, I don't know about you guys, but felt like there was very little chance that we would respond. It felt like, you know, at this stage of the season, when Everton go down, there's, there's very little uh, response from the team. And we kind of just keel over and, and let wolves dictate play for the remainder of the match. And again, they're very comfortable in that position. They, they try not to concede first. They're very good at that. And then they'll just suck the life out of you for the remaining time on the clock. Yeah, and it, we had a we had a funny response uh, to the instant match reaction thread, which I thought was fitting to throw in right here after conceding on a set piece uh, from Hollywood Wallace Watkins at Damon W Hawkins. If we were going down anyway, we should have hired David Ancelotti. Just a funny little note to throw in there. I don't think he'd come now, but <laughs> it was rumored he had a house ready, whether he purchased it or not. Who knows? But the point is the same: the height differential, the size differential, the discipline. Um, uh, you just knew going into this one, if you looked up at the matchups, you're like, man, we better not foul lock. We better not give them too many chances in dangerous areas. At Lee Perry EFC, Lee makes this point. Been saying it for ages, and when we do give those free kicks away, we concede every time. Not happy at all. Yeah, I mean, you could just kind of see that coming. But really, when it comes down to it, you look at it, I can't say with a stone face that there was a real response from halftime. I mean, from the 45th minute to about the 70th, Wolves outshot Everton 7-1. 
Wolves were only dispossessed one time in that period. That was after being dispossessed eight times in the whole first half. Uh, 61.7% possession. They jacked it up. The second half was 67 for the whole thing. And there just really wasn't, there was one brief chance we had, and that was a phenomenal header by Richarlison, which was almost this just incredible individual effort, but there really weren't many consistent chances. And, and Frank clearly had to make a change and he did that in the 59th minute, but this is a very curious change, I think. Yeah, he takes out Mikolenko, who up to that point, I mean, I think I think he was starting to wane. I think that's fair to say. They were going after him, too. I mean, let's be honest. They came out in the second half and they were attacking down that right side. It's more than just Mikolenko, too. I mean, you've got Damari Gray over there who doesn't play any defense at all for the most part. So that's part of it. So he's on a bit of an island. That said, the response to them picking on Mikolenko is to take him out, bring Deli Ali on, and then move John Joe Kenny over to left back, which um, has yielded varying results, but I don't really understand the continuing fixation with John Joe, other than it's like the only option he thinks he has. Um, but then, of course, that moves Van de Beek and Delhi together, which is something we talked about. They're both similar types of players. Do they fit in the midfield? Um, didn't really seem like it made a whole lot of sense, and it didn't really yield too much of a, I guess, difference in play. It didn't really fill in that space like I thought it might. You know, you continue to have Richarlison off the back shoulder. If anything, it pushed him up higher to try and be that second person to play it over the top. And the saddest part is, I would say the best guy we have in playing that ball over the top is Alon, and he was on the bench. So I I, I don't think that really worked out. Mikolinko, they were going after him pretty hard, but I just um, I found that very strange, too. When you got Coleman, who's already exhausted, basically, trying to play in a wingback position, way more up an attack to then bring him back ultimately in a back four. The shape was strange in the middle. That was a change where, okay, I didn't hate the idea. Maybe should have started that way, but they, they look very disjointed after that. It wasn't like we looked, we looked better. And again, don't you want someone at that point who can kind of get on the ball and kind of take command of the match? Cause Daly Ali is not that guy, you know, he, he's more running off the ball. He's kind of a he's a good one-touch player. He can find space. He's a good player. He's dangerous. But I, I just look at our bench and I think, you know, Alon, even Andre Gomes, I mean, to get on the ball and hold on to it. I can't believe I'm saying that. Um, he has scored against Wolves. I mean, he does do well against his Portuguese compatriots. Um, I think even a Wobi, I, I think, would have been a good person. If you're going to bring someone in for that third person in midfield, Drop him back. Let him get on the ball and run a little bit. Uh, I, I thought that would have made more sense and given us more control, and we didn't see that at all. No, and, and you know what? I have to. I kind of have to slam Delhi a little bit because he's been at Everton a month now. We've only seen him make you know small sub-appearances except for the one time he had to come in in whatever that was, the 30th minute in that match. Um, but even when he comes on, right, we're – you see, you hear the crowd booing, all of the fans, the the staff, the players apparently have had relegation talks, serious talks in the dressing room, and then he's kind of jogging about, essentially immediately when he comes on. And, you know, I, I don't know that I, I don't necessarily agree with the sub, but it just feels like even on a free, when you're paying someone 100k a week, and you're looking at possibly getting relegated, you need someone that's actually going to walk out onto the pitch and give it maximum effort. And it, from the start of the substitution, it didn't look like that was happening. You can see his quality when he has time and space, but I just don't think that was what was merited at the time. But I would argue this. Do you think that was a better sub than the one in the 74th? I, I think yes. No question. And this one, 
I think reeks of a, of a little bit of desperation. You talk about we never really looked super cohesive, and and it doesn't seem like Frank is capable of making many substitutes that all of a sudden make things click together for Everton. This was, in my opinion, a bit of a hail mary to take Damari Gray out, who probably is still recovering a little bit. Fine, take him out, but bringing Andros Townsend on. Uh, not really sure the answer. If Andrews Townsend's the answer, I'm not sure what the question is other than can someone please score us an absolute worldie and rescue this disaster of a match? I mean, I could g- look if you were going to play in that wingback setup, maybe he's better at cutting inside and filling in the half space. We've seen it. He can't play like that. He needs to have the whole right side to himself. He's a terrible possession player. He's not going to play well in Frank's system. I mean, you see, his first touch is not good enough. His ball control is not good enough. If he's given time or space, he can strike a ball. We all know that. But to whom? I mean, is his idea that because he's a good crosser and can play a ball, he's going to be the one that floated up over the top to those two guys? It almost seemed that's what we were trying to do, but no one got him the ball anyway, so it didn't really matter. I don't understand this at all. I don't understand that at all. If you're going to play against that high line, try and play the ball over top or find a way to break through that packed back line, you have to get on the ball and you have to move it. And uh, we didn't do any of that. And the two guys we brought in were not good possession players and not the subs I would have made. Even worse, he only made two subs. I, I, that is just, although that being said, it didn't really matter. Not like Townsend had much time to make an impact because, well, in the 75th minute, John Joe Kenny took a yellow and sure enough, he did the same thing in the 78th. I, you know, I don't know if that was really even a, a yellow worthy second foul, but come on, man. I mean, get it together. The 75th one was absurd. I mean, what are you thinking here? I, I, it's just a shame. It's, um, I don't know if we would have scored. I'm curious what you guys' take is, but this is just reckless play. I don't know what he's thinking. No, I don't believe we would have scored. The, the only thing I have to say about it is the fact that I find it very ironic at the fact that you took out the left back. Obviously, you know, there are reasons he was getting attacked, you know, an insane amount. But the fact that you then slide John Joe Kenny over there, who's the one that gets the red, is uh, somewhat funny to me if you... You know, if you don't laugh, you'll cry, right? Um, yeah, it's it, – and I agree, Ryan. Probably the second one, if it wasn't three minutes after the crazy reckless one that led to the first yellow, he probably gets away with it. But you could see as soon as he got up and he looked at the referee, like, this was coming. Uh, you just have to be more under control than that. And it was out of control. You you put your studs up. You go down. You go into the air to make the challenge, and you're going to get punished for it. Um, and going a man down in the 78th, it was, in fact, felt like almost certainly game over. We did have, of course, a late free kick opportunity that Andrews Townsend took and took relatively decently, but not on target. And that was that, folks. And that was the 90 minutes. Another loss, as we said at the top, the 16th loss of the season. Um, some of the themes of this one, first and foremost, the offsides. Six times to Wolves zero. Bit of a result of, I think, the contrasting styles of play. But the most we've had this season by some distance, and actually I think the most we've had uh, in two seasons because I think the most we had last season was four or five. So uh, I think two, three years ago is the one where we found we were offsides only once more than three times the entire season. Nine times against West Ham, a game we won. But yeah, six the most times. And it felt like more than six, did it not? I mean, I felt like it was just constant although some of them i thought were questionable yeah we never really saw any replays of them which was a bit strange um but Mm -mm. it was 
just that high. I think, you know, Wolves maybe deserve a little credit for the disciplined high line, but there were a couple times like Seamus Coleman was offside when he's back to the sideline, full view of the Wolves back line, and that's just inexcusable. It's one thing if you're Richarlison trying to time runs to perfection, guys playing balls over the top to you, but there were some that were just were just inexcusable, and I guess Wolves just discipline uh, was better, better than us. Yeah, there was a funny quote from at Inside Pass saying, I see Pep tearing his non-existent hair out when a City player attempts a pass over 25 yards. All essence of control is lost. And then he said, there's little counter-pressing principles behind it to win the second ball like those who shall not be named across the park either. It's not planned, just him looking for an easy way out. And it definitely seemed that way. And as Ryan, you mentioned earlier, you felt like the crowd kind of affected that decision-making too. That needs to stop. I, I don't understand this mentality that because you passed it backwards, you boo. I, I, that doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Passing it backwards is the safe play. It's the player now that has time and space facing forward that can make a play forward. It's okay if you don't turn. This is not 1982. Like, seriously, do you think, uh, how many times do you see a pep team guys have time and space to turn? No, they don't. They play it back to someone facing that can make a play on the ball. And what would you rather have them do? Then did you cheer when Mason Holgate gunned it up the pitch and gave it to them? I mean, I'm sorry. He was four of 11 for long balls. Only three of those were clearances this time. Those were mostly unforced errors. Pickford was hoofing it up all day too, five for 14. I, I don't understand that. I mean, that is, that is the wrong message to send. And I don't understand that mentality whatsoever. And the responses are just ridiculous. Like, well, it doesn't mean that we need to actually play football. That is playing football. You play it back to someone who has time and space. There's nothing wrong with that. Turn. No, you don't have to play that way. Seriously, I, I don't I don't get that mentality at all. I think the funniest part about it was that Mikalenko, Coleman, and Godfrey tried between all three of them, tried three long passes total. Now, why I think that's important is think about the audacity you have to have to be a player, Mason Holgate, that you in your mind, I'm like, well, those guys can't pass the ball long. Remember Mikalinko's long pass? Freaking ace. Fantastic Beautiful. ball. Yeah. And he actually makes good decisions on the ball and has some touch to him. He has good weight on his passes. Um, you're the guy that says, you know, I'm going to do that 11 times today. Coleman was just spraying the ball out just like at times, just for almost fear and they weren't long balls, but he wasn't any better in terms of keeping the ball. Like you have to keep the ball. If you're going to play that way in order to get enough people up the pitch in attack and wolves want you to play the ball long. Thank you. Play the ball into three giant center halves without Dominic Calvert-Lewin in the game and a defensive mid who's like six, two, like that is just dumb. So yeah, turn right into them so they can turn around and hit us on the counter. Use your brain, people. That's not the right thing to do. We need more control in this team. I mean, heaven's sakes. And the passing suffered, I think, as a result. There was some, I mean, Gordon, 51.9%. Coleman, 72. And they don't pressure. Like, seriously, they're 17th in PPDA. If those of you know what that means, it measures high pressing intensity. Dead last in pressures in the attacking third. Wolves are 14th in pass completion percentage against. And we're 18th, I might add. And what did we do? Just give them the ball unnecessarily. I don't get it. And I just want to throw it out there too. Like the Gordon and Coleman stats, right? We primarily attacked on the right side and our right-sided players had absolutely, I know Gordon and Gray switched a couple times, but primarily though, that's, that's awful. That tells the story right there in my opinion. It's as good as a dispossession too. I mean, four of 11 for long balls, Holgate, you gave him the ball seven times. That's what you did. Just handed them the ball. With time and space, they got it. Thanks. I'm going to sit on it. 
mean, we had no one behind him. It's not like we were rushing people up to get on the second ball because we couldn't because you need to hold the ball in order to get people forward. Um, I, the subs. Can we talk about this? How many subs did Frank make tonight? Two. How many subs do you get in a Premier League match? You, you get more than two, don't you? I think it's three, yeah. Can someone possibly explain to me why he didn't make the third sub? Did did we need to make a third sub? It sure kind of looked like we could use... I mean, Gordon looked like he was dead. His legs were completely toast at one point. Got, super props to him to keep fighting hard, but I I just I don't understand at all why you wouldn't use that third sub. And I, I cannot believe the three guys you kept on the bench that I think could have helped us the most just sat there. Yeah, and we we mentioned it in passing, but Alex Awobi, I thought, made a pretty bright start to life under Frank Lampard, and yet he's been nowhere to be seen since. So you wonder, like, he's on the bench. Obviously, he's fit to play. What's he got to do to get back in the team? Um, maybe his levels in training have dropped. Who knows? But you think the type of game where you're looking for some control and someone to maybe spark something in the final third, and it clearly, when you're leaving Anthony Gordon on to just, again, look gassed, Gray comes off, understandably, but you need someone to come in to affect the game. And it felt like neither of our subs were really able to do that. I can understand the Deli Ali sub, but to leave, you know, around in the chamber essentially in terms of the substitute, when you need to really exhaust all possible options at this point, uh, I, I don't understand the rationale from Frank there unless there's some other factors at play with the guys on the bench that we just aren't aware of. But it's hard to make too many excuses for him. I think it's just a mistake in my opinion. Yeah, all I've got to say is I really hope that Alana was left out due to sickness or something physically related because uh, now is not the time for him to be dropped for other reasons. I hope you're right, but that w- did seem a little odd to me. And again, we have a match in a couple days, so so I get maybe that has been viewed as most important. Uh, I haven't seen Frank's behavior that way in the cup matches, though. Um, yes, I'm bringing that up again. Uh, but yeah, I look... I think in general, too, the setups are a little odd. I, I don't think the setup was necessarily at blame today. Once they scored, you had to make changes, of course, and I don't think he made the right ones, but the setup was designed to you know, defend first and probably get a clean sheet. But if you think of the two matches back-to-back, they are kind of strange. And, and I mean, to go away at Spurs and play this more expansive open style of play with higher pressure, which is not what you should be doing, and then to come back here and play kind of pack it in more three defenders and the wingbacks weren't that aggressive. I mean, Coleman is up higher, but we know Mikalinko is not going to bomb forward. Um, I don't know if that made a lot of sense. Um, so it was an interesting quote by Michael at wombat underscore combat. I made the mention the setups. The last two matches have been strange. His response was <laughs> yet another manager, more interested in putting his own stamp on the team rather than just simply trying to grind out some results to regain confidence, have to walk before you can run. Hate to say it, but a blank reunion would have been better at this moment in time. Now, my comment was, we still only made two subs. I'm not kidding. And then Michael's response was, he's just a friendly Benitez. Oh, um, that's savage. Well, I will say this, though. This I said this before. Is this really the time to be talking identity? Now, in the post-match, I want to go through some of these quotes because I think it's interesting. He seemed now suddenly to have changed his tone. It's less about identity now and being being focused his first thing he mentioned he thought we were good in the first half and thought we deserved points in general what do you guys think about that agree with the first half thought we looked decent um probably good for a draw there certainly not deserving of winning um second half i don't think we deserved anything based on that performance and the lack of 
execution. I mean, we had the really one chance from Richarlison off that header, and beyond that, created very little. So, a bit harsh to say that, you know, we we deserve points. You could say maybe we deserved a clean sheet, but then you defend so poorly off set pieces that it, it ends up not really mattering. What about you, Alex? Yeah, I mean, I, f- I feel like a draw was totally within the realm of possibility, and I don't know that, you know, someone could argue Everton completely stole it if that happened. But I think the result itself, I mean, it is what it is. If you create virtually nothing and you defend the way that we did and, and the rashness in our decision-making, then that's that's the result you get. I thought some of his responses about going forward, you know, his quotes, too early to talk about a new game, we'll take a break tonight. Probably need that. His point, and he keeps emphasizing this, is there's 12 games to go. Lots of points to play for. That That is true. Um, he mentioned how tweaks in different formations are due to injuries. I don't know about today. He also said, one thing he said I found curious, at nil-nil we look comfortable. Do you guys think we look comfortable? I, I don't think that's the word I would use to describe how we looked. No, I, I think we looked more or less Wolves equals. Like, it, it felt like the game was obviously in the balance. We weren't, like, fighting for dear life to not concede. Their goal came out of, you know, they weren't generating a great deal up to that point. Obviously, they dominated us, I think, to start the half a little bit in terms of, what, 7-1 to one in shots, something like that. But no, I don't think we ever looked comfortable. And I think... You know, we mentioned it at the top when the crowd and announcers harped in on this too and we talked about it with the Ben Foster thing a few weeks ago. Like the crowd is very much constantly on edge between wanting to just like flip out and and turn like full angry mob or like rise up into this like incredibly intimidating atmosphere and it felt like after maybe 25, 30 minutes, it was only really going to go one way. And we talked about the booing already. So like that is a tough atmosphere for players to perform in when you feel like you're constantly on the verge of just getting paraded by your own fans. Uh, I I don't think that's really an atmosphere for anyone to succeed, not to blame it on the fans at all. But I do think it, it adds to like this feeling of unease around the entire stadium. And I think that that translates onto the field as well, honestly. I'm curious how it was that, you know, it's hard to tell sometimes on TV, but you get that impression I think we look comfortable in defending. Um, and, and I think, you know, you saw we weren't getting overextended early in the match. We weren't running at, rushing at their center halves. And because they're a pretty good passing team, they take care of the ball pretty well. Um, when we weren't doing that, we kept our shape pretty well. So I guess we look comfortable when we didn't have the ball. I don't think we look comfortable with the ball at all, though. I, I thought that was obvious. Um, his comment, he thought Deli Ali made an impact, made runs in behind. It's Frank seemed very focused on that. And yes, that opportunity, I guess, was there, um, but I just don't think the way we went about doing it was great. I'll give him some credit. He was fairly composed and frank doing post-match, and he's you know trying to show and be strong and be positive, but I don't know. I mean, I, I, Look, I don't think the setup was that bad. I think the individual mistakes early, hoofing the ball up and getting rid of the ball, were costly, but didn't cost us until after the break. Um, but I thought his adjustments were pretty poor once we went down and he had to make an adjustment. I think I'm curious your thoughts before we get into player performances. Yeah. I mean, I, I think overall what you said is hits the nail on the head. I mean, it's, it's confusing to see where we go from here in terms of how he sets up players. I mean, obviously we have some sort of sickness going around for the last month, hitting different players randomly, you know, for example, that's why DCL is out. Maybe that's why Patterson is out. Um, hopefully that's why a lot's on the bench. 
So it's going to be interesting. We, we got to see how he's going to set up, what players he's going to use. I mean, is he going to learn anything, really? Is he going to try different players in different spots than we've seen? Because, in my opinion, he's been pretty static with a lot of the forward players and how he plays them and how he sees them being played, too. Um, so overall, it's I, I'm just curious to see how we move forward. What about you, James? Yeah, I don't know. This is this one really uh, this one didn't sit well with me. Um, it felt like such a critical opportunity, and it feels like at this juncture, we're now four games, league games without a goal, really struggling to even create shots on target, and it feels like in that scenario, we we are in desperate need of some pragmatism and and just setting up. If it, if it comes to it, we, we just set up in a low block, do everything we possibly can not to concede. Um, and, and we did an okay job of that, but you give up the you give up that goal, and it just feels like anytime we're we're facing any sort of deficit, there's very little hope and very little inspiration. No one among the squad that wants to take the game by the scruff of the neck. You know, Anthony Gordon, I think, embodies that a little bit, but he's just been trying to to no avail. Um, and we talk about talk about some of the player performances today. I mean, not a ton of positives, but we saw uh, Ben Godfrey return to the squad. Of course, was a little bit responsible for the goal, marking on Connor Cody. But otherwise, five tackles, a couple interceptions, a couple clearances, and a blocked shot. Um, perhaps a glimmer of hope to have him back amongst the center half choices for Everton. What do you guys think? De- definitely. He, it was much needed, right? Um, you know, and, and that's I think, is going to be the interesting thing in regards to how we move forward because we just dropped Michael Keane, absolutely deservedly so, but now we've got John Joe Kenny on a red. Um so that's going to be interesting to see how, you know, who he sticks with. Does he stick with, you know, Godfrey? Obviously, I don't think that that would warrant him to be dropped. But, you know, does Michael Keane stay out? Or does he bring him back in to keep playing a three at the back? It'll be interesting. I mean, Newcastle are playing really well right now. But, I mean, you've got to get Keane in the game. I, I would sit Holgate down immediately. I'd pair him with Godfrey and go with that. I mean, you, you need someone there that has some physical element to beat some of these sides. I mean, Newcastle are going to play it down the middle a little bit. But Eddie Howe, good example that he's been very pragmatic and they've done well as a result. Um, yeah, I think you got to bring Keane back. I mean, presumably he's sick, not feeling well. I don't know if it was a mental thing or, or maybe a little bit of that. Hopefully he feels better after break. I know he's been making some mistakes, but I just cannot tolerate to see Mason Holgate hoof another ball up. It just... That's the thing. In this setup, that's fine if you're going to be composed on the ball, and we were not. And part of that is the team selection. You know, it just... I I don't... And the John Joe Kenny, I can't get over that. Why you would think of those two players and think that John Joe wasn't the better one to play in that wingback position? Um, you know, what about the midfield? What did you guys think? I mean, Decore had five tackles today. Um, he didn't give the ball away. He didn't create much, though. I mean, no key passes, no long passes completed, no crosses. I mean, 88.1 pass rate, and he wasn't turning it over. Um, and he was winning the ball back. He was fighting fouled a bunch, but I, I just don't think he really had anyone to play forward to. So I don't know what you can expect him to do. There just weren't, the wingbacks weren't getting up the pitch. There weren't options in front of him. That's how I saw it. Yeah, it's pretty much the same story with Donny Vandebeek, right? Three tackles, an interception, two blocks. But as you mentioned, if your wingbacks are not getting forward, giving you a place to play off of, and, and you've got the three guys trying to exploit the high line, then there are problems. Yeah, two-man midfield continues to, to be an issue for us. And you look at, look, obviously we didn't have very much of the possession, but you look at the impact that Neves and Moutinho were able to have. Neves with 96 touches, Moutinho with 98. On the other hand, Ducore and Donny Vandebeek combined for 99. Um, so it just shows the, the extent to which Wolves midfield was involved, uh, at least on the ball versus our midfield. 
I think them attacking on the right side is a little problematic, too, if Donnie's on that side. He's not a great defensive player. Um, his positioning was kind of out of sorts, I thought, today at times. But when you switch wingers, that matters. And we did that a little bit. Um, you have a different type of player you have to contend with. And Gray and Gordon actually have some similarities as a player um, when one's on the left versus when one's on the right. But Gordon's work rate, I think, is is significantly better off the ball and defensively, even if he wasn't amazing in that regard today. Uh, he just seemed tired at times. So, but that's what you get, you know, with that pair. I mean, Donnie's not really a defensive mid, even if on the ball he's okay. And then there's John Joe Kenny. Uh, you know, in John Joe's defense, he's being asked to do a lot of different things right now. But, and, you know, he, in the first half, he was excellent. His positioning was terrific in terms of picking balls off. I mean, we didn't do much with it once we got it, but, I mean, two tackles, four interceptions, two clearances. But he had four fouls, and he was rash. And, you know, getting send it off just killed any chance I thought we had of maybe getting back into this match. And then we talk about Richarlison. And I agree with you, Ryan, on, on John Joe. Look, he's <laughs> beginning of the season, if you said John Joe's going to be the Swiss Army knife that comes in and tries to save Everton's from the drop... Uh, I'd have said we are absolutely uh, in big trouble, which we obviously are. I mean, the effort's he, there. I mean, a lot of totally. these guys, the effort is there. I, I People keep saying these guys aren't playing hard. They're not giving their all. I, I don't know if that's really you necessarily de- the case. You definitely can't say that about John Joe Kenny and Anthony Gordon. Like or Richarlison. Blues. Or Richarlison. Yeah. Richarlison, too. And again, look, he was offside three times today. A little bit frustrating, but it felt like that was really the only way we were going to be able to break Wolves down is with one of those successful balls over the top. And it almost worked a number of times, but he finished the day with four shots, only one on target. Obviously, a couple that were very close. A couple dribbles, drew three fouls, hit the post, turned it over five times. But when you lead the line and you're pretty isolated the entire match, you know, you're going to lose the ball occasionally. The guy works incredibly hard. He wants to be a number nine, but in this setup, when we're huffing the ball long, it, it feels like he's uh, we're, we're really not playing to his strengths as a striker. Uh, and whether or not that's his best position, we could debate all day. I think we probably all agree we'd prefer to see him coming off the left, but the numerous options, you got to get Gray in the team somehow if he's fit. And um, yeah, just my biggest problem with the front three was just they all looked like neither of them, none of them wanted to pass the ball to each other. They all wanted to do it themselves, and it just led to very little fluidity or anything um, in terms of interplay between the three of them. Right, and we mentioned how Neves and Moutinho essentially each had about the same touches as our combined two midfielders, but you know, we look at Holgate, for example, he had the most touches of the team with 77. We already mentioned he was four for 11 in long balls. That's obviously not a recipe for success. If, if Holgate, who we know is not that good with the ball, has the most touches on your team, and the other the other center backs around him essentially attempted no long balls whatsoever. That tells that you know that is another stat that really tells the story um, and tells how the match went for Everton. It's just not okay. I don't understand what's going through his brain that makes him think that he's going to be the diva back there, spitting and spinning balls all over the place. But is that an instruction? Because it's not like it's a one-off thing. It's like a trend with him where he's consistently trying more long balls almost than anybody else. So is it the instruction from the management to give it to Mason and spray and pray? I have no idea. Um, there have been a few matches where he has not tried to spray the ball around. Clearly, the instruction was to try and play the ball over the top at times. Um, but I, I just the instruction should be stop. 
Uh, I don't yeah. know what else to say. It's not positive, but I do question how much orchestration was happening in the build up from the back, especially Pickford in his distribution. Um, I thought it was curious at best. And, and I just felt like at times they panicked a little and, and tried to force the ball up the pitch and they didn't need to do that. And I don't know. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. There were a couple sequences though. I thought that they were, they were legitimately designed breaking out sequences, but we just seemed to go away from them so quickly, but look, it, it does seem to be a bit of a characteristic of his, I mean, certainly it's a tendency to do those types of things, but it needs to stop. I mean, it's killing us. It's really hurting us. And I, I don't, I mean, how, how could you not see that? I mean, it's clear as day. Yeah. Completely agree. Let's switch gears here and get into some listener comments to wrap things up because we had some good ones today. Start with regular contributor Halsey Nim at NIMalins316 said, Why change the midfield three that competed so well against City? DeCorey and Donnie could just just could not cope. I think that's we we definitely hit that into the ground and, and it's bizarre, right? We tried the midfield three, we lost narrowly against the best side, one of the best sides in Europe, and yet we haven't really seen it since. Um, it, it's frankly a little strange to continuously pivot and the disruption and the continual changes from Frank Lampard just make it so hard for the team to really develop any sort of, you know, cohesive style of play. Yeah, I've got to say, I, I agree. I would have much rather seen a, a three-man midfield. I think most Evertonians would have running into the match. Um, we also had MVP at Filati. Ducore looked bizarrely out of it today. We had almost no presence in midfield to move the ball forward, which obviously, you know, talks to uh, the big gap that we were talking about with the forwards. John Joe Kenny had a shocker. Mikalinko got rinsed more than once. Everyone hated Dean, but tough to believe he'd done worse. Only in Gord- only Gordon and Richarlison were above a five. Um, not a whole lot wrong with what he said there. That's for sure. Yeah, I don't know. I think Decore, obviously, with the ball, not super influential, but you know, talk about led the team in tackles. You know, you, you're never going to question the amount that he runs or his work rate, but I think his influence, uh, at least when we had possession, was certainly limited today. And I also, you know, so slightly disagree with the fact that everyone hated Dean. Obviously, we didn't, and many others didn't. But yeah, I mean, you look at the January transfer window business done by this club, and we certainly uh, didn't fill areas we needed and, and added players duplicating positions that we already had. Or, you know, we bring in two number 10s and then don't play a number 10. Like, what, what the What are you talking about? No, no, the problem was Marcel Brands all along. Look, we got rid of him in January. We did the business, man. Dean has been out of form for 18 months. Everyone knows that. Exactly 18 months, not 17. Not 19. Exactly 18 months. Boy, it would have been nice. Did you see some of the balls he was serving last weekend? That would have been nice to have uh, have there. I remember that set piece at the very end that Townsend missed. Hmm. Anyway, uh, yeah, I just it's unbelievable the narratives that will people convince themselves of uh, just to make them feel better about things. But yeah, I mean, the January business is absolutely terrible, horrible. It was a huge downgrade, but at least we have El Ghazi on the bench. (laughs) And I mean, we've absolutely, you look at year over year, this is, this is broken record territory here, but between Dean, James, like we've, we've just gutted the entire offensive open play creation that we ever had and expected to replicate that with Damari Gray, who, and Andrews Townsend, who, despite their bright starts, I think have started to to wane a little bit. But we have discussed that enough, so let's keep it moving. Here we had Coach Konal at Coach Konal. Hopefully, that's correct pronunciation. Just said, just a complete inability to string together even a few passes and create any offense. Unless Gordon gets across in there, 
is just no offensive threat. And yeah, the only really good chance we had was in fact that Gordon Cross. Um, besides the and he's not chances in the first minute. And I wouldn't say he's a great crosser of a ball, no. even though he can strike a ball and hasn't been all year. So I, that's not actually Frank disagreed because he thought that we would have author- offensive threat with Townsend crossing the ball. Did he now? Uh, well, in his defense, statistically, Townsend has crossed the ball well and can serve a ball okay. The problem is he can, he was doing that in the context of a totally different system that he is much better suited for and not this one. I, I think that's probably what I'm most disappointed about. I think there was a chance to maybe get back into this match and we needed to take a different approach. And you subbed on two guys that are completely the antithesis of of that approach. Uh, but hey. We saw Deli Ali and Van de Beek. They can play together. I don't know if they can play well together, but they were both on the pitch at least at the same time. So it wasn't a complete and utter waste of 225K a week uh, on guys that play the exact same position. So there's that. Great. Super. Um, yeah, I just wish he really would have made a move to to get a little more control in the match and, and keep the ball a little bit. But no, no, we boo that. Pass backwards, we boo. So. Sorry, you can tell I'm a little irritated about that. I just think that people got to recognize you can't sit there and whine, though, and cry about we lack identity. You have a guy who comes in and wants to keep the ball a little bit, and then you go against that. And and I do kind of wonder if he set out a way to play today and people in their own individual instincts just couldn't help themselves, whether they reacted to the crowd or whatever. I'm not blaming the crowd for anything. I mean, my God, if the crowd affects your decision making, I mean, grow up. Yeah, find sorry, a new, like, find a new know, profession. Seriously, because that's going to happen. I mean, I just, I mean, that's, you can hear parents yell at kids in sports and they'll do stuff. You got to tune that out and you got to play your game. Unfortunately, our game in a couple different cases is simply not good enough. Um, not you, though, Ryan. Though. You probably, I, you probably never yell at uh, Max when he's playing. <laughs> I yell at him if he's not trying hard enough. That I do. Everyone makes mistakes and that's fine. We're all our own people. Um, but unfortunately, in this case, a couple of these guys are our own players that aren't good enough. Um, but I will say this. I mean, I, I just looked at like Holgate's long passing stats. Shockingly enough, are um, you know, when when he passes the ball like more than 15 long balls, we lose every match. Shocking. When he's under that, I think we've won four, drawn two, and lost three. Gee, hey, I'll take that. Maybe you should maybe you should stop doing that. That might be a decent idea. Uh, I, I just I, it's just the height of arrogance to me, too. You know, that you're the guy that's gonna play the ball over the top from 80 yards away because you're Beckenbauer or Pirlo playing center half. I mean, what is anyway? I'm sorry. I'm going to rant on this, so I don't want to do that anymore. Let's uh, let's hit Peter Rabbit's comment. Yeah, we had someone Peter Rabbit that Peter Rabbit 68 regular contributor said, and we actually have a couple interesting contrasting perspectives with our last two comments. Peter Rabbit 68 said zero tactical plan players just standing around no midfield without the ball. Oh, and a man of the match. And man of the match is a backwards pass, which we excel at. This group will go down without even a fight. They deserve what they get, and that will be a 19th place finish. Contrast that with Andrew at Everton Gladys, who said, Everyone losing their minds here. I know that was bad, but everyone does realize we aren't in the drop zone, have three matches in hand on everyone around us, and nearly a third of the season left to play. Seems like two schools of thought here. We've got the... We're absolutely going down after today. This was the nail in the coffin for Everton Football Club in the side, uh, which I don't know. I think I'm more in that, trying my best to be in the Andrew camp of there's still plenty of season left to play, but we've also been saying there's plenty of season left to play for like five months now and haven't seen much in that period of time to derive a lot of encouragement from. So I'll throw it to you guys and 
which camp do you fall in? How are you feeling about current state Everton find themselves in as we wrap up here and look, of course, to Thursday against Newcastle, which personally I can't see any way that we get a result there, but go to Alex first. You might be surprised. I I would not say this after, let's say, the Spurs match, but I think today is the first day that I'm feeling um, an overall negative feeling towards Everton's hopes through the rest of the season. I think um, I think Frank doesn't seem to be ironing out who who may work best in what systems. I understand injuries, illnesses have played factors, um, but I don't feel comfortable with how we're moving forward. Uh, I hope that we can figure it out, but. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna subscribe to say we're absolutely going down. How about you, Ryan? Andrew's right. I mean, I can't argue with him. Other than everyone having, you know, we have a game at hand on everyone. I mean, that's not exactly true. Yes, we have three games at hand on Watford. Norwich are going down, uh, but those aren't the two I'm concerned about. I'm concerned about Burnley. They're one point behind us. We have one game at hand against them. Big deal, you know. Um, they kind of are stout defensively and they find a way to win sometimes. And I'm not saying that's the right way to play. Like I really don't subscribe to this, that we have to pack it in and play discipline to avoid the drop that I, I don't buy that. I think you got to play to your strengths and play how you play. Um, that being said, you can't continue to concede goals either. You have to be disciplined at least in what you do. And I said this before when we hired Frank Lampard, which I don't understand that choice. I don't even understand the candidates. We said that on the pod. But for me, out of the guys we talked about, he was the one I felt less comfortable in terms of being defensively organized. Um, And I think sometimes you got to think about the side you have. And I really wish we would have approached this with more of a short term focus, because the most important thing was staying up, because if we go down, things could get really bad in a hurry, like plummeting bad like first division type bad. And I find it very bizarre still to this day that people were so up in arms about the Victor Perea possible hire when actually he's, his teams are very, very disciplined and and are very good in terms of keeping their shape. I'm not saying he would have been the right guy either. He wouldn't have been a candidate. And if I was looking to hire someone as well, but yeah, that concerns me a lot too, Alex. Like I just see Frank and he almost seems like he's learning so much about this team. But I thought the whole point was he knew the league and all this other shenanigans stuff. It just goes to show you that like Bruno Lage comes in and just has been fantastic um, tactically from what I've seen for Wolves. And I don't think they're a phenomenal team. I mean, look at the numbers. I mean, they've been I mean, you can't argue with the goal differential, like the goals against number. I mean, that there's a lot of luck involved there. But his team seemed to be very well set up and, and they have their identity, but their identity is sound. Um, and it starts with a sound defensive structure and they're hard to break through, you know. And uh, you just knew we went down. We were in trouble. I, I'm not. I also don't think that there's no chance we get a result against Newcastle. I don't feel that way at all. Um, but I think he has to make some changes. And I, I think we need to learn to keep the ball a little bit. And um, I, I think he has to play some different guys. I mean, Alon's got to play. And again, I've been saying it, but I think he should play a Wobie. I don't understand why he doesn't. Alex can keep the ball. Alex works his tail off on defense. Um, and he's a physical matchup against some people too. And, um, I just look at Anthony Gordon and the lack of quality sometimes in his delivery in the final third. And I think as direct as he is with his legs, imagine him running for 20 straight minutes like that against a tire team where he has just a little more time and space on the ball. You've seen it when he's done it this year. He's actually been very productive. I just, Frank's got to get us together and get us solid, um, but I don't want to see Mason Holgate play again, and I don't want to see three in the back uh, enough. 
Yeah, agreed. And it just feels like, look, it wouldn't take much to change our fortunes. You get one or two, like even one or two draws. It really wouldn't the, change. The picture changes right. so dramatically. But it's like, where does that result come from? Because it just feels so, this feels team feels so far away, removed from being in competition to win games. Although we were right in the thick of it today. It's just those small mistakes. One play changes an entire match, and we just have those periodic lapses that have continued to cost us and the inability to fight back. So um, we, we go again against Newcastle on Thursday, be it St. Patrick's Day, hopefully get a little bit of luck of the Irish. James Coleman, bring it in full force. And uh, we will be with you following that match, but we appreciate you all very much for listening to this one. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or review on your podcast platform of choice. You can find all of our links to social media at linktr.ee slash usatoffeepod. You can join our Discord where you can come and fume all you want about today's result or anything other, uh, anything else really, including uh, non-Everton related things. Come chat with us. We'd appreciate you joining invite.gg slash ATP. Otherwise, until next time, up the toffees.